0: You're listening to the Bethel Baptist Podcast. This recording is from our adult Sunday school class. Today's lesson is taught by Keith Wilkinson. All right, let's get uh, started. Uh, We'll kind of get into what we're gonna talk about this morning. I am uh, just with some of the stuff we're gonna try to get through today. I'm going to open up in prayer, and then we'll get right into the handout. If somebody doesn't have a handout, let me know, and we'll get you a copy. I know there was some back there. Nancy, I think, just went to make uh, a few extras, so she should be back here shortly. So let's pray, and then we'll get into the study this morning. Father, thank you for giving us this time. Certainly thank you for the the sermon this morning and the uh, direction toward prayer and And for us to understand rightly what prayer is, many times it's uh, really about us aligning ourselves with your will. And so may those things be on our hearts and mind. And uh, certainly as we think about the topic this morning of conflict resolution, uh, may we understand how important prayer is in that process. And uh, certainly uh, part of coming to you to help us resolve whatever issues there may be. And so may we be diligent in prayer. May we be diligent to lift up not only this church, uh, but others as we think about the body of Christ. And all for your honor and your glory. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. All right. so we talked about uh, one component of conflict resolution last time, and that was really the whole thing of communication. And what is good communication? Uh, How does that play into conflict resolution? And I gave you some of those principles with regard to the conference table and what that looks like or how to employ those things. One thing I didn't bring last week that I would recommend to everybody is this uh, little uh, booklet. Uh, it's a communication and conflict resolution, which really has most of the stuff in there by Dr. Stuart Scott. And if you would like one of these, let me know. I've got some in my office and I can certainly get more and hand those out if you'd like them, but those are great tools. Uh, not only for yourselves, but maybe there's somebody else you know that has difficulty in in communicating or in resolving conflict and it 's a great little thing to give to those people so they can kind of walk through it on their own again it 's not that long, so you can get through it pretty pretty easily well let 's start out by going back through Ephesians chapter four verses twenty five to thirty two we 're going to look at that read that quickly, and then we're going uh, to 'm going to ask anybody if they remember the the uh, four rules of communication. If somebody can get those. All right, Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 25. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no longer, but rather he must labor, performing with his own hands what is good, so that he will have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification, according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. And so, uh, the, one of the other places that I would uh, encourage people to th- well, first of all, who remembers the four rules of communication? All right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Excellent. Yeah. Be honest. We always want to tell the truth, right? Keep current. We don't want to let uh, conflict go unresolved. We want to get that resolved and resolve it quickly. Attack the problem, not the person. When we're trying to resolve conflict, it does not help to go after the person or their character or anything else. And we talked about how um, as we're having discussion, we want to be careful about the words we use. So if we're trying to resolve conflict and we're telling somebody, uh, yeah, well, we wouldn't have this problem if you would just do so-and-so or you always do this. That's why we're having this issue. So we wanna be careful with those kinds of words or that that kind of language, right? There's an issue on the table, whatever that issue is, and we're trying to solve that together. We wanna go after that problem. And then the last one, act, don't react. Uh, Really, that's kind of what uh, we were talking about in verses 31 and 32. That's kind of the difference there in the sense that many times when we have conflict, uh, something happens and we respond, say, in anger. Uh, We're just reacting to the situation. Uh, We're not being proactive in doing what we would see in verse 32 in um, the sense of being kind to the other person. We want to be intentional in those things. So uh, those are the four rules of communication. We wanna be mindful of those as we think about conflict resolution and that's whether or not we use that conference table that I handed out uh, last week. Um, the other thing that I think is very important to think about as we think about conflict resolution is what we see in Galatians chapter six, um, the first three verses there. And so if we go, you can certainly turn there, see if I can get it to come up on the computer here. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, and verse 1, Brethren, if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourselves, so that you too will not be tempted. Verse 2, bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Why is that verse uh, important as we think about conflict resolution? In uh, moving through that, those verses, I should say.
1: What do we see there? Mel? I see um, taking off my um, selfishness, humbling myself.
0: Yep. Yeah. Yeah, certainly humility is in those verses and that should be on our hearts and minds as we think about addressing someone's sin. Because when we, when we resolve conflict, certainly someone's sin can be part of why we're trying to resolve the conflict. So uh, when you see that there, if anyone is caught in, in any trespass, you who are a spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. So we're going to go to them gently. We talked about that last time. We're not going to go to them in a harsh way. A condemning way uh, many times that's unfortunately in conflict resolution that's what it, it becomes it's kind of a competition uh, i'm right you're wrong uh, so we're kind of butting heads instead of trying to that goes back to trying to address the the problem instead of the person right i want to prove myself to be right and i want to prove that you're wrong and uh, that's just an antagonistic relationship and certainly we're not going gently if we're we're doing that Um, And then at the end of verse 1, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. And the idea there is that sometimes when there's a sin issue, we look at a person and we think, how in the world could you ever do something like that? Right? That's not a humble attitude at all. That's an arrogant attitude. I would never get caught in any sin like that. I mean, in essence, that's what somebody is saying or implying. Um, you know, you're kind of making a statement that I'm so spiritual that I would never sin in that particular way. Uh, and again, that's just a prideful attitude. And and something like that can really trip us up in the sense that we're setting ourselves up for failure. Uh, we're setting ourselves up to be into something that we shouldn't be into. So we certainly want to, to do that. Uh, What else do we see in that verse that's important as we think about conflict resolution or addressing sin? Yeah, Dave. Yeah, excellent. I'm glad you said that. So Dave said the the desire to restore a person. And that's why we go back and we think about Matthew 18 uh, verses 15 and following where uh, most people talk about that as the church discipline section of Scripture. And, And to some extent that's true. But the whole purpose of that section is, is to restore a person. Right? That's why verses 12, 13, and 14 in Matthew 18 are so important because we're looking at the uh, this story about the sheep that's gone astray. Um, uh, and the shepherd goes after that, that sheep because the shepherd wants to restore that sheep to the flock. Right? The, the shepherd certainly understands the danger that that sheep is in Uh, But the shepherd's goal is to restore that sheep to the flock. And so that's the attitude that we want to have as we go uh, to a brother or sister in Christ with regard to any sin that they may be involved in. We understand that at that point, their relationship with the Lord is off. It's not that they've lost their salvation, but their relationship with the Lord is off. Yes, their relationship with us is off. There's no doubt about that, but their relationship with the Lord is off. That's what our goal is, is to have that relationship with the Lord restored. If that relationship is restored, their relationship with me is going to be restored. It just goes without saying, right? So that's what we want to be mindful of. So that is uh, what Dave said is, is very true. Uh, that's our goal is to have that relationship restored. And then certainly in verses 2 and 3 there, again, to bear one another's burdens. I, I just love that in the sense that, uh, again, it emphasizes the otherness of our relationship to fellow Christians. Uh, As we went through verses uh, in in Ephesians 4, I mentioned that last time with regard to uh, the others component of those verses, it's not just about me. It's not just about me having my life together, so to speak, it's about me having the other person's good in uh, on my heart and mind, I, I want goodness for them. I want to be a benefit to the body of Christ. That it's not just me getting what I want. Uh, again, this concern for others, and, and again, certainly in verse th- three, we see that that humility again. Right? If we think more highly of ourselves, uh, we think we're something when we're nothing. That's <laughs> that's a pretty pretty direct phrase right right there. Right? If anyone thinks he's something. When he is nothing, he deceives himself. Uh, again, that's that humility thing. When we have a high opinion of ourselves, we, we're, we're setting ourselves up for failure. There is no two ways about it. And so we have to be mindful of those things. All right, so any questions on some of those things, Bob? I in a more obvious way, but
1: sometimes those past us, it's a call to do something, not talk
0: about Amen. Amen. So,
1: yeah. Um, that action to restore somebody and to act in accordance with that versus let's talk about this person for a while.
0: Right. Them up and down the platform, whatever. Right. Yeah. yeah, Bob's comment about it's a call to action uh is, is true. And we're going to talk about that as we go through the conflict resolution thing. But yeah, the typical pattern, uh, unfortunately, even even amongst Christians, is that we see something in somebody else and we don't go to them. We go to somebody else and start saying, you realize so-and-so did this or that or something else. Um, and really that, that's a very dangerous thing. It's very dangerous in the sense that you have, uh, well certainly with regard to Matthew 18.15 and then what we see in Galatians six 1, this this call to go. Uh, It's not if you see your brother in sin, you kind of ruminate on that for days and days and days and then maybe go, right? Or you think about going. Both of these are written in a command mode. You go.
1: And so uh, what's the problem if we don't go? Amen.
0: Thank you. (laughs) You're disobedient. You are sinning. Right? So if your brother sins, go. Right? If your brother sins, go. Uh, That is a command. It's not a suggestion. And so when we don't go, we are the one that now is in sin. I mean, there's certainly more problems with that because we certainly are not taking sin seriously we're thinking that sin is not that big of a deal that it's not that harmful and again that's why verses 12 13 and 14 are so important in matthew 18 with regard to setting up the pattern for uh uh, for our understanding of the importance of helping someone that is in sin and so certainly here in galatians 6 1 you see the same kind of a concept uh uh, you see someone that is caught in a trespass uh you should be the person to go to them and and, and address that with them, right? Jerry? The not right.
1: Brother,
0: yeah. should care about the condition of their soul. Yep. Yeah. Um we care about the condition of their soul. Uh, certainly that that is correct. Um when you think about Yeah, when you think about the thing in verses verses twelve, thirteen and fourteen with the the sheep that's gone astray, and the shepherd goes after the sheep and the the idea of of restoring the sheep to the flock why is that such an important concept with regard to we've already talked about the sin aspect right this the sheep is in danger uh this the sheep is uh, everybody knew uh agriculturally uh, that Uh, If the sheep is left out there, it's going to die. It's not a question of whether or not it's going to die. It's going to die. That's just reality. So that aspect aside, why is 12, 13, and 14 so important in Matthew 18? Well, let's go back and read it. Making uh, too many... uh, Assumptions here. So Matthew eighteen, in starting in verse twelve, what do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the ninety-nine which have not gone astray. So it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. Those three verses are really, really important. We could probably talk about those maybe for the next two or three weeks. But um, why are those three verses so important in the context of dealing with sin or addressing someone that um, needs to be restored uh, with regard to their relationship with the Heavenly Father? Take a guess. (laughs) immediate action certainly I agree with that there's a huge try not to give it away yeah Mary yep I would agree with that Joe flock is, flock is incomplete I would agree with that too all those are great answers Mel yeah so we do have that part of it bigger, bigger concept, think bigger, <laughs> bigger, bigger, bigger
1: uh uh
0: not well, I mean, yeah, there could be a discipline aspect to it with regard to the sheep, yeah, you have that part of it you're you're right, Cheryl, you have that part of it the The bigger aspect to all of this that we have to be mindful of is that that is a picture of the gospel, right. It's a picture of the gospel. Uh, Christ coming to rescue us, right? That's the heart. We uh, we can never forget that. So as we think about uh, addressing sin, going to a brother, restoring them, bringing them back to the fold, uh, the the. Uh, um, uh, the family's not complete in, in that sense. They're, they're outside the family, so to speak. The, the possibility that death can result, all of those things, those are all true. Those are all true. But all of those things are motivated by the gospel. So if, if we don't have a gospel-centered focus in our life, then these things become somewhat meaningless. Or um, they're more of a a burden on us to do it than it is a joy to go do it, right? So it kind of goes back to what Pastor Kirk had been talking about with forgiveness and the understanding and kind of what we talked about yesterday at uh, Men's Breakfast with forgiveness. Um, That's why we become unforgiving people is because we don't have a gospel-centered focus to our life. Uh, we forget about what we have been forgiven and when that goes yeah this this kind of stuff or even conflict resolution then becomes somewhat meaningless or we think that we don't have to do those things right it's not an obligation and it is a it is an obligation and it should be a joyful obligation right because again this this uh understanding of the gospel so I'll be mindful of those things as we, um, as we move forward. Right. All right, any other questions? Good, all right, let's get into the handout there. Conflict resolution, a biblical path to peace. Um, that's what we're taking a look at. Again, something we should all be striving for, something we should desire. And so we just wanna look through what this really is and how we should go about addressing uh, those things. So the first thing that you see there on your sheet is just this question, exactly what is conflict? Uh, And and you see the points there. Literally, it's to strike or fight against. So strike at or fight against someone. And then a general definition, conflict is when both parties sin against one another in their communication and or their actions and are then in opposition to one another. So when we are in conflict, uh, typically we're sinning against each other. Obviously we're sinning against the Lord and in our conflict, but we're sinning against each other. We're in opposition to one another and we are in, in some sense fighting against one another. And that is something that we do not want or should not want, certainly in our relationship with each other or ultimately with the Lord. What does God think of conflict? From Matthew 5, 21 and 22, it is grievous. Uh, to, uh, to there, he wants his children to have no part in it uh, unless you're guarding over truth. So um, why, why that little caveat to that statement? Anybody want to flush that out? Why is conflict okay if we're guarding
1: truth? that they're not embracing truth. They don't even know a lot of people to know that
0: they're in the Right. And
1: so we yep. always, as believers, we always have to stand on truth. Yeah. And we never compromise on that. Amen. Um, it always needs
0: to be done in like a loving fashion. Right. Right. Amen. Right. So we're called to contend for the faith, right? That was once for all delivered to the saints, uh, which we have in the totality of scripture. We're always going to contend for that. Again, as Pat was saying, it doesn't mean that we are uh, 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 we're, we're angry individuals in doing that. We still want to do that lovingly, uh, but we're not going to compromise on the truth. It's kind of what I uh, uh, think about in the sense of what Francis Schaeffer said. Uh, we want to be concerned with true truth, uh, which sounds kind of goofy, uh, you know, truth is truth. But what he was getting at was this idea back in the, well, uh, really his time, the 60s and, and 70s, maybe 50s, 60s and 70s, uh, this idea that uh, truth had become relative, that it was up to each person to determine what truth is. And Schaeffer said that's not true, <laughs> Uh Right. Um, we have to we have to base our lives on true truth, which is the, the the objective standard of God, and we only know that through the Word of God, right? And so that's that's what we base our lives on. So that's why we have to guard the truth. You know, we can see all kinds of examples in culture now, right? Uh, just think about the transgender movement. Um, uh, them they've tried to Identify the terms. They've tried to say this is truth. And we know, according to the scriptures, that no, that's not truth, right? The true truth is what God's word says about male and female, and that settles it. Now, there is no discussion on that. Now, you can talk to me uh, until you're blue in the face about whatever theories you have, but I'm going back to the word of God, so we want to be careful about that. Mel, you had a comment?
1: We need to be careful that we don't want to go into the ditch of, well, let's just avoid all conflict, which is your point on point number two. Because Jesus is an example that we're supposed to follow, and he was in a lot of conflict, especially with the leaders of the time. But he did so because he was starting
0: Correct. his Right, yeah, that would be the, the understanding there, right? We, uh, we don't want to be in conflict that is sinful conflict. Right? Uh, we want to, if, if we're going to be in conflict, it has to be over the truth. And that kind of follows in what we see in 3 there, which is he wants his children to pursue peace, which is out of Romans 12, uh, 14, and then Ephesians 4, 1 and 3. That's what we're called to do. He wants his children to avoid needlessly or sinfully offending someone. Uh, so again, we just want to be mindful of those things. We don't want to. Um, uh, do anything in that sense. So 1 Corinthians ten thirty one, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Well, it's pretty hard to do something to the glory of God if we're offending someone else needlessly, if we're in conflict with that person, we're sinfully in conflict with that person, right? And then five there, he wants his children to love, pray for and do good things to those who sin against them. Uh, We're not the ones taking vengeance on somebody. The Lord is going to take care of that himself. We need to be mindful of those things. Uh, And that's why we're very careful when we try to say things like, well, it's my right to do this or that. We have to be very careful in how we move through those things. Or um, we complain because someone has wronged us and, uh, you know this is not fair. Uh, I can't believe that God is letting me go through this. It's just not fair. Uh, that that's a, a fairly blasphemous statement in the sense of not trusting the Lord and in the implications of uh, who we think God truly is. And so we have to be mindful of those things. Any questions on on those issues? Oh yeah, Maggie,
1: go ahead. Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, so if I'm correct in kind of understanding your question, we're talking about in the sense of um, a, uh, a believer and a non-believer being in conflict, right? We're going to share the gospel with a person that's a non-believer in a sense of resolving conflict. And so I'll, I'll address that. What we're talking about here with regard to resolving conflict with the underlying assumption is that we're talking about two Christians. So, but with regard to what she's talking about, uh, this idea of resolving conflict with non-believers is very important and she's, she's right. So as we think about, we talked about this a little bit um, with regard to the issue of forgiveness. There are some passages in the Bible that seem to suggest that, that we, if you kind of read them, maybe taking them, I would argue taking them out of context, Uh, Some of these passages seem to indicate that we should forgive everybody no matter what's going on. And again, that's dangerous to do in the sense of uh, thinking about a non-believer, right? A um, non-believer, they're they're sinning constantly in the sense that they're alienated from God. And so they have done something wrong to us and they will, at times, a a non-believer will come back to us as a believer and ask for forgiveness and that's where we want to be prepared to present the gospel to them um, as Maggie's talking talking about because that is the thing that they are in most uh, most in need of is the gospel right they're never going to be reconciled to me apart from the gospel and so that's why we want to graciously present the gospel to them uh, and, and one of the things we have to be careful about in the sense of this idea of just forgiving people no matter what—certainly, uh, I would argue that that's not—it's not a biblical thing. So we see uh, forgiveness between believers that's spelled out in the scriptures, and that is conditional, right? Um, uh, Luke 17: If they repent, you forgive them. So we always have a hard attitude uh, of forgiveness. We always want to desperately have the, to, to be reconciled with people. Um, And so again, that's believer and believer. We want that. We're not we're not holding grudges against people, things like that. We desperately want to have that resolved. But with a non believer, there can be dire consequences for this idea of just issuing forgiveness at will. What is
1: one of those problems? A big problem. Mel.
0: yeah so they're still not forgiven by god if even if we say we forgive them, josh <laughs> yeah so one side of that what Josh is talking about is we say that um we forgive them and somehow it makes us feel good that we've extended this gracious uh, forgiveness to that person. And so one of the things that would come out of what Josh just mentioned is this idea that um, nowhere in Scripture do we see the, the concept that we issue forgiveness to make ourselves feel better. It's never that way. The other part, the other side of what Josh is talking about, which is very dangerous, is the idea that somebody that, Uh, has done something wrong, and they're coming back to us. Why are they coming back to us? They're coming back to us because they have a guilty conscience. And they're looking for someone to appease their guilty conscience. And we're just the suckers to do it. Right? They'll lay that on you. Right? Well, you're not going to forgive me? You're a Christian. I thought you were a Christian. You're not going to forgive me? Right? Uh, I can't. I have no capacity because you're not a believer, right? And that's where we want to share the gospel with them. When we appease someone's conscience, all we're doing is hardening their heart to the Lord. They're not, you know, in all honesty, this may sound very uncompassionate, but in all honesty, I want them to be uncomfortable. I want their conscience to bother them. And I don't want them to come to me. I want them to go to the Lord. The Lord is the one that will resolve that issue. And that's why it's imperative that we present the gospel to them. And as Maggie said, yeah, they're probably not going to be very happy with us. But that's the most loving thing we can do. Yeah, Paul. And that's why
1: four says you avoid it needlessly or simply offending. There is time. Bring something that's
0: going to offend them, whether it's a believer or an unbeliever. Right. Right. So, indirectly or conversely, because there's there's a reason to offend someone if you bring something. Right. Yeah, certainly for the, you're spot on, Paul, in that that person, if they, uh, again, a believer, if a believer is in sin and we are not addressing that sin or there's conflict there, they will never uh, be accomplishing what we see in 1 Corinthians 10.31, which is the uh, whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. I mean, there's a problem with that relationship. Uh, they can't honor the Lord while they're living in sin. And so we need to be mindful uh, of all of those things as we think about reaching out. So, so yeah, as we interact with non-believers, um, uh, a lot of these things are going to be difficult uh, to do because they don't have the same foundation that we have. And again, many times the uh, the issue there is just to have their conscience um, appeased, right? Uh, they want to have someone approve of their sin. So um, you think about um, think about Romans one. Right, 18 and following, where to, and I forget exactly what verse it's in, but where it says that uh, those that are in that sin, but there are those that give hearty approval to their sin. People, people who are not believers, they're always looking for someone to justify their sin. Right, If I can get enough people around me that say that what I'm doing is okay, then it must be fine, right? I, I no longer have this weight hanging over me because all these people have told me that it's okay, right? They're just looking for people to justify what they're doing. And again, but for me, I, I want to continue uh, to pray that they're uncomfortable in what the sin they're, they're caught up in um, because that, that's what's going to drive them to the Lord uh, my 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 hope is that they finally are at the point where they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to go but to God. So, and we have to be um, again. That's why for parents, uh, we have to be careful of always digging our children out of trouble, where they never suffer the consequences of their actions. And it, I mean, that just doesn't apply to children. It applies to to adults too. Um, so. Anyway. Any other questions on? Yeah, Gary. Just take it to the next step then.
1: So if there is an unbeliever that's you, are directing him and he's sinning first and foremost against God. Yeah. You're saying
0: he's not repenting from God. Yeah, I, I want to be compassionate to them though. I want to tell them I desperately want that relationship right i want to have a relationship with a person where um uh, you know obviously that person is saved right and then at that point then there is uh not not only peace and harmony with me but the bigger issue which is peace and harmony with the lord right
1: so, so Would not uh, take it to the extent where you're saying, I can't have anything to do with you, right? I can't serve you, I can't love you, right? You would say, even more, you would say, i to treat this person with love of God, and with, yeah, uh, serve them, I'm going to prefer them, I'm going to do all the things as though they were, were for him, right? But you're not. I cannot But you're not allowing that as far as it lies within you to continue to reach out to them with
0: the love of Christ. Yeah, again, I'm gonna I'm gonna be compassionate. You're right. I'm not gonna well, I, I should clarify. So, in the sense that depending on what that sin is, right, uh we always have those issues of understanding. Uh, sin in fact, I was talking with somebody yesterday about kind of this uh, example in the sense that um, uh, you know if I own a business you know, I, well bad example because i shouldn't be unequally yoked, but let 's say I was already in the business relationship and then I had become a believer, and so now I haven 't gotten out of the relationship yet in the business sense, and I find out that my unbelieving partner has embezzled two hundred thousand dollars. And he comes back and asks me to forgive him. Uh, you know, there's a lot of Christians would would hold that just forgive the guy, right? That's the love of Christ is just to forgive that guy. Uh, no, that's not the love of Christ to just forgive that guy. His relationship with the Lord is still not there, and so for me to um, uh, to say yeah I forgive you again, that's just appeasing his conscience. I'm still going to love somebody through those things, but there can be consequences to someone's actions. And so this person's going to be uh, turned over to the authorities. They're going to have to suffer the consequences of what they've done. Again, I don't have a a heart attitude of bitterness toward them. You now I've got to work through whatever is going on. I'm going to love them, but one of the, uh, I would argue, the most loving thing I can do is to share the gospel with them, right? So, yeah, I'm not going to. Um, I'm not going to disown a person or anything like that. Um, well, again, we're called to, eat. even if it turns out that in, in a sense that person's my enemy, uh, we're still called to love our enemies, right? And so I'm going to I'm going to do that. Yeah, it's not that um, uh, somebody uh, sins against me that's a non-believer, and I'm not going to go to them and tell them, well, until you get right with the Lord, don't ever come and talk to me again. Right? I mean, that's kind of the. Right.
1: And if you would talk to them, I'd have to think that some of them would
0: lie to you. Oh, yeah. Probably pretty.
1: <laughs> sure. They just sinned against you. And yeah. they need to repent, you're pointing to the gospel. Right. But you're not going to say, I'm
0: done with you. Right. Right, you're,
1: correct. You're going to say, I'm going to continue
0: to reach out to you. Right. And work with you as much
1: as I can. Right. Over the legal forgiveness that that we're talking about here, in the sense that as much as we can, not we don't avoid um, dealing with the sin to the degree that it needs to be dealt with, but we don't say because you've sinned, I no longer will have a relationship at all. Correct. Still continue to treat you godly way.
0: Yeah, and again, some of those we would need a caveat. So we're going to continue to. To have a heart attitude of forgiveness toward people, uh, and again, there can be some caveats to that in the sense of what they have done to you, right? So we have to be careful. Or we're still going to love them in the in in the sense that we're not going to have this embittered heart against them. So uh, this may address kind of what Gary's talking about. I think with when we talk about the difference between heart attitude and and uh, the relationship that exists between believer and believer, and then having that restored in forgiveness. So in Luke 23, all right, this is uh, right when the cr- Christ is being crucified. Uh so Luke 23 verse 33 when they came to the place called the skull, uh, there they crucified him and the criminal uh and the criminals one on the right and one on the left, verse 34, but Jesus was saying, "Father, forgive them for they do not know what they're doing." All right, this is that hard attitude that Christ has of desiring for people to be forgiven. If we were to just forgive everybody, no matter what they're doing to us, right, it doesn't really matter how they're behaving toward us. If that was the pattern that we should follow, that would have been a perfect time for Christ to say that same thing. He wouldn't have pleaded with the Father for them to be forgiven. He would have just told all those people that were crucifying crucifying him. He would have just said, I forgive all of you. And he doesn't do that. And he doesn't do that because it's, again, this relationship between the Father and the people. And that's the the relationship that needs to be reconciled. He's pleading with the Father that there might be some way that these people will come to the knowledge of the truth and be believers, that that's how they're going to be forgiven, right? And so that's the same hard attitude that we have with those that are non-believers. Uh, that's what we want to um, uh, relay to them, right? That's the most loving thing we can do. Are they gonna? Um, are they going to always accept that? We know by experience that's not true, right? And Gary mentioned the, again, for me being a chaplain down in the prison, you see that all the time. And he's right. People will lie to you, and and they'll lie to you to get their way. So they'll lie to you down there because they want to get out of their cell for an hour, right? I mean, that happened all the time during uh, some of the COVID lockdown stuff. They had to stay in their cells. They could not go out. They couldn't go in the day room, which is kind of just a a, kind of a big cafeteria type thing. Uh, They were not allowed out of their rooms. I mean, you think about that, being stuck in a a six-by-12 cell, basically 24 hours a day. Uh, Your meals are brought to the cell. Uh, You might be allowed to go outside for a very brief period of time, but then you're back in that cell. Um, uh, They were even restricting showers and things for a while down there, so you can't go take a shower. You're with your cellmate pretty much 24 hours a day in that cell but you can get out if you want to go see the chaplain. <laughs> Guess how many people wanted to come and see the chaplain? <laughs> right? So they would come and I would talk about the Lord and their need for, for uh, repentance and placing their faith and trust in Christ. And some would come back and tolerate it because that was a way of getting out of their cell. Others wanted nothing to do with that. Right So we take the opportunity and you do it compassionately, like Gary said, uh, you let them know that you're more than willing to spend an hour with them and talk about the issues of life, and you can do that in, in many different ways, but it's always going to come back to the gospel. If you want to come and talk to me about that, I'll put you down on the calendar, right I'll do that gladly. so yeah, we do that compassionately graciously um, I know they're they're lying to me. I'm going to kind of call them out on that, but I'm that doesn't mean I'm not going to meet with them, right? I'm still going to present the the scriptures to them because I know that's what's going to change their heart. I'm not going to argue anybody into the kingdom of God. It's just not going to happen, right? So, yeah, any other questions on these uh five here that we see under B?
1: Excusing, excusing, versus, um, uh,
0: say, say, say the way, excusing like somebody sins against you and you overlook
1: a, a wrong, uh, let's say somebody stole something from me, that's a sin against God, but it's also an offense against me. Yeah, the excusing, uh, imbalance.
0: Right, right, yeah. So uh, if I kind of understand where you're going, Bob, so if somebody steals something from me and you're talking about their non-believer or a believer? Yeah, unbeliever. So even with unbelievers, we still have the principle of restitution, right? So, uh, and that is a, a way of the, holding somebody accountable for their action, right? Um, so somebody let's say again, I'm somebody comes and visits my house and I've got a couple hundred dollars laying on the table that I put there for whatever reason, just laying there and uh, they're visiting and whatever's going on. I, I, uh, I've i got to go to the bathroom, I go to the bathroom, come back. Uh, they leave and and uh, it's two days, three days later, I realize that $200 is gone. Um, and I confront them about that and they fess up and say, yeah, I took the $200. Well, they took the $200, but now I needed that $200 to make my car payment, which was the next day, but I didn't confront them until two days later, now my car payment was late and I have a, a light fee to, to pay on that, right? Um, so they admit that they took it and, and I'm gonna ask them to make that right. They're gonna pay me back the $200 plus the extra amount that I have to pay for the, the late fee. Um, that, that principle of restitution is is uh, certainly in, in scripture, uh, certainly in our legal system, that would be a viable thing to request. And I'm gonna ask them to be held to that standard. They're going to do that, right? That's not, if I, if I don't ask them to do that, then I am in a sense, I'm overlooking their sin. I'm not addressing their sin. And I certainly want to do that with a non-believer. I understand that they're sinning all the time, uh, but in those kinds of things where there's a tangible uh, uh, punishment to me from their sin, I'm going to ask that they be made right, right? That's holding them accountable. And in a big sense, I mean, that's why why we have uh, prisons, right? That's unfortunate, it's a distortion of what we see in scripture. Uh, but that's kind of the basis behind uh, why we have these prisons in the first place and why somebody's put away for so many years. there's laws of the land that they are uh, they have to uh, abide by right and so I'm still going to present the gospel to that person. Um, that does not that does not uh, preclude me from asking them to uh, to make things right in the in the legal sense of what's going on in the land. Yeah. I don't know if that answered the question. Yeah. Yeah, we want to hold people accountable, uh, believer or non believer, right? Uh, certainly with the believer, there's a little bit different uh, uh, twist that it takes because of what we have in Scripture. But for the non believer, yeah, we cannot, we're, we're actually doing them a disservice by um, uh, overlooking punishment. And and, uh, and if you know, for me, if anybody wants to to really understand the the complications of overlooking sin or the devastation of overlooking sin by not following uh, some of the legal aspects that we have in this country, you know, uh, I would encourage you to get hired by the Department of Corrections and spend some time there and see what happens. Uh, you know, the term that you, you probably heard w- with, in varying degrees is uh, uh, the inmates running the prison. And unfortunately, in the state of Wisconsin, uh, to, to a large extent, that's really what's happening. Um, uh, they are getting pretty much everything they ask for. Uh, and things they certainly do not deserve. How many people in here knew that during COVID, when they were sending out the uh, um, the um, what were they call those things the the checks the stimulus checks? Yeah, how many people in here knew that uh, the prisoners in the state of Wisconsin got those? Nobody knew that. What? I can't believe that. I can't believe the uh, the news
1: didn't report that. It's true, it's true. People
0: that owe hundreds of thousands of dollars to somebody were getting stimulus checks and they could not be touched. So the person that's in jail for owing somebody $200,000 got a $1,200 stimulus check and it could not be touched by the person that was owed the $200,000? I told you. <laughs> Get hired with the DOC. I... <laughs> anyway. All right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
1: And I put it on the two, two. I say, you do not resist the one. So, anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. If anyone would sue you and take your two feet, let him have your cloak as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with you two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, do not refuse the one who follows you. How does that?
0: yeah, really, what we 're talking about there in, in Matthew five um, is really the the obligation of those that are believers to live in a way amongst others that is not contending for your rights uh, you 're showing preference to the other person in the sense of uh, almost you could say kindness in. Uh, in the way you live amongst them to show you that there's something different about you. So if you go to, say, verse 41, whoever forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Uh, during that time, the uh, th- the soldiers had a right to ask someone to carry their pack one mile, but not one step farther. Right? You could, if I was just an average person, that soldier could demand of me that I carry that pack one mile and I could not refuse them. So, what is Jesus saying to do? Don't just take it a mile, take it two. Right? You're about no, things that were wrong, but right. It, right. Yeah, in a sense, it's almost saying that it's not demanding my own way. It's not saying to this soldier, uh, sorry, you have no right to tell me to take this thing one step farther. I I don't have to go one more step, and that's too bad on you, right? That's my right, right? So it's a way of, in a sense, humbling yourself before those that you're interacting with, and that's kind of the just of of, uh, uh, even in 39 there, whoever slaps you on the right cheek, turn uh, the other uh, to him also. Um, there were situations where somebody did have the right to do that, to slap you across the face. And we're not going to fight back and say, you have no right to do that to me. Um, don't you know who I am? All those kinds of things. So it's, a, it's in essence, he's talking about humility there. Yeah, he's not, not really getting into the, the restitution uh, aspect of things. And so we would, and certainly we would know that, again, Christ came to um, fulfill the law, uh, not to do away with the law. So the biblical concept of restitution that is uh, set forth in the Pentateuch would still still apply. So he's not uh, he's not uh, doing away with with any of those things. And so we would be careful of of uh, trying to uh, make some of those things fit in there. So yeah, yeah, Gary. Right. one yep.
1: says better just to be defrauded. Yeah. On those yeah. You know, yeah. Well, if that was to happen to me, one of my brothers or sisters, I it. If that was to happen, would I be done with them? Well, right. If I was defrauded, they're still my brother and sister, I would go to the church right. and talk to them about it. Nothing was done. because of these numbers went through what is I know what I'm gonna go on and I'm gonna still have a life with that person. Right. And regard them
0: my brother or sister. Yeah. You know, yep. I'm gonna be defrauded in Right. Yeah, so we've got obviously those relationships uh believer to believer, and that's where some of these things get um can get somewhat complicated, right? So you have uh um some fairly prominent things going on in evangelical circles now where uh, that's kind of a big thing in one of the cases that's uh, um, uh, going forth in the Southern Baptist Convention with Will McRaney and some things that they uh, really have um, at least what appears to be um, uh, some defamation of character with um, between two people in the SBC and, and Will McRaney's position is that the people that are responsible for this it, it have proven themselves to be non-believers at this point. And so, yeah, those things get very, very difficult and and sometimes very hard to sort a lot of that stuff out. So we've got to be very careful as we move forward in those things. But That's a good point. Yeah, again, that goes back to uh, certainly our obedience to the scriptures and things like that. Right, we're talking about two believers subjecting themselves to a pagan court system, right? Or you think about uh, the possibility of those things now? Um, I don't. I don't think as a believer, I don't. Yeah, I don't want to find myself in in a pagan court system. Uh, I just don't think it's going to turn out well, right? So, anyway, or yeah, yeah. Yep. We go to them, yeah, we, we would use that. So Todd's question is, if we wrong an unbeliever, should we go to them and, um, and really repent and, and uh, seek their forgiveness? And yes, we should in the sense that we're going to go to them and we're going to tell them uh, why we're coming back to uh, let them know what we did that was wrong. We're going to tell them why we're coming back to tell them uh, what was wrong, how we consider it sin, how we're a believer. That's not how I'm supposed to live my life. And we're going to follow that up with what? The gospel. This is why I'm coming back to you. And this is, this is what I would want for you um, in your life as well. right? This is what's driving me uh, to do that. And you're going to get people that are going to look at you like you have three heads, um, you know, you know, whatever, that's fine. Uh, but yeah, we definitely want to go back to them, and the reason—I oh, mean, certainly uh, one of the reasons would be what we see there in Matthew five sixteen: "Let your light shine before men, in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven." Uh, I'm gonna—I'm gonna explain to them that my behavior is not a reflection of who God is. Right? My my sinful behavior is not a reflection of who God is. The God I serve, He is glorious, and I have. Um, I have tarnished that view of who he is by my actions. And I don't want that to be that way, right? And so, yeah, I'm going to go back and explain that to them. So, yeah, definitely. All right? All right. We've got a couple minutes left here. Let's go on. We've got there under C. Where do conflicts come from? Differences, right? And those differences can be preferences, wisdom, upbringing, education. Etc., right? And so while conflict can involve uh, what we see in two there offenses, sin, right? Uh, it can be, our conflict can come from just differences. Uh, you see this in, in very simple examples a uh, husband and wife, they've got children. Uh, one of the children misbehaves for whatever reason, and now there's a time for punishment. And uh, dad wants to. To, uh, he thinks the, the, the punishment that fits that crime is uh, a spanking. And maybe it's uh, uh, um, uh, five, uh, five pats on the rear end. Uh, that's what he thinks is appropriate. And mom says, I don't think that's what's necessary. And here's why, right? And they both have very good reasons for their position. Uh, neither one is necessarily sinful but they see it differently. Um, That's just the reality of it. But because they see it differently and dad staunchly wants his way and mom staunchly wants her way, they are now in conflict, right? And so we have to be careful of those things as we think about resolving conflict. Again, those things can be based on um, maybe how we were raised, right? Um, When I misbehaved and... uh, dad thought necessary it was a a plastic belt that hung going down the stairs and i knew that was coming (laughs) right mom may not be too happy with that that solution right that's too much so how do we uh, how do we do those things right Uh, certainly we can have number two there offenses sins Uh, those can be uh, obvious sins right uh, they can be sins of conscience, you know, right? Somebody thinks that something is okay. Uh, I have freedom in Christ to do this thing. Uh, somebody says, no, you don't have freedom in Christ to do those things. And that now um, causes conflict, right? Um, and again, uh, if it's sinful, uh, we got to look at the, the issues of of pride in the flesh. You see there in Galatians 5 and, and James 4. Uh, James 4, right? Those are the... Passages we were all going through, we were going through the uh, Brad Bigney uh, stuff, what causes quarrels and conflicts among you, right? Uh, uh, So those those are things we have to be careful about as we think about conflict. We have to be careful in the sense that we always have this idea that when there's conflict, somebody else is always in sin. Now, the conflict itself can be sinful. But what led to that conflict may not necessarily be sinful. And so we got to make sure that we flush that out as we come together to try to resolve that, that conflict. And then uh, the next thing you have there is that little box that, the, that has thoughts that lead to conflict and thoughts that avoid conflict. And those are just very straightforward, right? That thoughts that lead to conflict. Uh, idea, you know, we say that's ridiculous. I'll have my way, my way or the highway um how dare he or she do that thing i can't believe they did that thing or or the that last one there i will not be treated this way right that's where we kind of are demanding our rights i have a right to uh, fill in the blank there and we have to be careful of that thoughts that avoid conflict uh, she may have a point there's something there that i may not really have fully understood or considered and i have to think about those things i i don't have to have it my way (laughs) Why do I have to have it my way or why do I think I have to have it my way? Um, well, because I think my way is the best way. Uh, maybe not, right? Uh, so we have to think about that. Um, even as you know, Pastor Kirk was talking this morning, an uh, opportunity to pray. I need to pray for that person with regard to how they're seeing it. Um, they may not be seeing it correctly, and I'm going to pray for them that they're going to do that. And then the last one there, which is always difficult in conflict, is how can I return good? to that person. How can I return good to him or her? Now that is one of the most difficult things I think in the sense of resolving conflict is being mindful of uh, uh, returning good to that person in the midst of that conflict. Again, we get stuck in, I want my way. And we're gonna see that as we look at some diagrams that you see the diagrams at the end of that, Um, the handout there will, that'll kind of flush that out a little bit more. Benefits and differences. Well, first of all, is there any questions on the what was in that little chart or any of those other things that I mentioned? Yeah, Zach. Is it possible that he may have a point, or
1: just
0: uh, no? I don't think so.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: How long have you been married, Zach? <laughs> Not long enough.
1: <laughs>
0: oh, <laughs> it's possible. Highly unlikely, but it's possible. Yeah, good question, Zach. They're always right, Zach, right? Well, who's the comedian? Happy wife, happy life. Uh, Gary? That's it. Go ahead, Pat. That's
1: right. Yeah. All those things I just, when I was looking at all those, all those things are demonstrated. Yeah. And all the things on the other side are pride. They are. They're clear-cut. Right. Any of those
0: people, Yeah, one of the things you could probably add on the um, uh, thoughts that avoid conflict. Uh, Again, when something's starting to happen, most of us have been around long enough, we kind of know it's happening. We we can tell it's happening. Uh, And you see this a lot with, uh, or I would recommend this a lot with uh, people who struggle with anger. And that is, you you know what's happening. You know what's going on inside. And uh, one of the things that is a good question to ask yourself is, what am I wanting what am I thinking? Because that's really, you're asking yourself, you're trying to get at the heart of the matter when you ask those questions. What am I wanting in this situation? I, I'm obviously getting angry, right? And, and there's no doubt about it. What am I wanting right now? What am I thinking? Those things are, are going to go together, right? And that goes back to um, uh, uh, the book of Jonah. When I went through that uh, um, in chapter 4 there, uh, Jonah's obviously angry. I mean, he's he's livid. And, um, and God asks him, do you have a good reason to be angry? So that's a question we can ask ourselves when we start getting into uh, moving in the direction of anger or moving in the direction of conflict. Do I have a good reason to be angry? What's the answer? No. <laughs> 99.9% of the time, the answer is no, right? So, I mean, you can even ask yourself the question, am, uh, am I angry because I have been offended or am I angry because God has been offended? Uh, if your answer is, I'm angry because I have been offended, then it's unrighteous anger. Uh, there's no, no two ways about it. Gary. I was thinking on the left side there if I was
1: to put another one on you know, self, where I've I it. Yeah. in the area of the I of like this. I've had enough today. Yeah. You know, and what, what I'm talking about there is the pressures of life and of work and all the different. Right and now, we have another. One. Mm-hmm. So we back off and do this. A bit and, yep. and that's a denial of what Christ says now, uh, and what it says about Christ the Son of Man did not come to be ministered, but to minister and to give his life. I mean, right. I'm not giving my life. <laughs> I'm right. giving my time and a little bit of effort. Sure. But I, I close it down. that's enough, I, I don't need any more trouble. Right, you know, yep. And that is, that's a, it seems justifiable, but it's really not. Right. But that's a reflection of number. the second one
0: I will have my way. Right, yeah, you could really, I think, uh, for both of these think, uh, thoughts that lead to conflict and thoughts that avoid conflict, you could just uh, forget the bullet points there. On, on one side, you could just have selfishness or selflessness, right? I mean, that's what it ultimately comes down to. When we're prideful and we think we need to have our our own way, all right, those types of things, we're just being selfish. Uh, when we are preferring the other person in the situation, then we are being selfless, right? Or selflessness, right? So, a uh, good thing to be to me. Yeah, Mel. I was just thinking too, and this
1: is conflict that's
0: not. The yeah. Right, so when we think about, um, uh, well, and, and I'm going to caveat that with regard to when we talk about abuse, we're talking about physical abuse, right? And, and we can talk about that maybe more later, but uh, the whole abuse thing has become um, kind of muddied in the Christian community with regard to what abuse truly is or what uh, constitutes uh, biblical abuse, that type of thing. And we've really gotten to the point where, um, um, I guess in my opinion, I think ultimately we've gotten to the point where you see uh, the, the discussion about divorce in, in uh, Matthew 19. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? And at that time, that really was true. If, uh, if the wife uh, made a bad meal, that was grounds for divorce. And I think we're pretty close to that in America right now. You don't really even need an excuse anymore to get divorced. Uh, you just go fill out the paperwork at the courthouse and, and it's kind of a done deal. Uh, you don't even need to say, uh, say abuse uh, and really, so. But I think there's, anyway, that's a discussion for another time. So, all right, well, I think we'll end there. I think that's a good place to stop. We'll come back to this again. Next week, and see if we can uh, finish some of that up. And some other things to talk about. Hang on to your handouts. I'll bring them with you next week, and we'll uh, keep plowing through. Uh, what's you'll have to zoom in. What uh, if someone
1: forgets
0: Oh, we'll get. I'll have to reprimand them. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this time. Thank you again for. Um, uh, the message this morning about prayer may it be on our hearts and minds we lift up Marlene and and uh, continue to pray for her recovery a speedy recovery uh, doctors would have wisdom on what's going on there and get those things right and uh, get her back home and uh, certainly we lift up others in this congregation that have have uh, other ailments as well that dealing with difficult circumstances may we continue to Uh, come before your throne and bring these requests to you. We know that all these things are in your hand, uh, but it is what we are supposed to do. We are to come to you. We are to plead with you and uh, turn all these things over to your loving sovereign control. Lord, help us as we continue to go through the conflict resolution uh, handout here that you would give us grace to think through all of these questions, uh, uh, great questions this morning, and and uh, things that we need to think through as believers, being mindful of what the scriptures say, and honoring you by being obedient to what the scriptures say. Help us to do that in a loving, kind, gracious, compassionate way, and in doing so, that we do honor you and glorify you with our lives. That is our goal. We thank you for that. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. thanks for taking the time to listen and learn with us. We hope that next time you'll join us in person. We meet every Sunday morning at 8 30 and 10 a.m. In addition to our traditional worship service, we also offer Sunday school classes for children and adults, as well as child care services in our staffed nursery. For more information about Bethel Baptist Church, please visit our website,